0: Hello, Internet. Josh Norris here with another episode of the Roto-World Football Podcast post-full 2017 NFL Draft Edition, I guess the first one. Uh, Thank you for subscribing. And if you really love us with all of your heart, like we love you with all of our hearts, you would rate and review five stars mainly. Uh, And it really does help us out, reach a new audience. And we thank you for all of those who have done that so far. We're almost at 100. So that would, again, help us out. Um, I started my press conference series, which I began last year, but I'm doing it again this year. Not by popular demand, just because I like to do it. Uh, and first the NFC South, so that's the Falcons, the Panthers, and the Saints. But I wanted to specifically talk about the Bucks, And to do that, I wanted to bring on Trevor Sykema. You can follow him on Twitter, at Tampa Bay Trey. He also writes for the Pewter Report. Trevor, what's up, buddy? Or do I call you Trey? Which one do you prefer?
2: No, it's, it's actually people ask me this, but no one in my life has ever called me Trey. It's just a, uh, well, until I got the Twitter handle and then people are back and forth. So Trevor totally works.
0: It's just the alliteration. I guess it's not alliteration. It's just the rhyming of Tampa Bay Trey, yeah, which I'm all just, for. I mean, you got to build your brand,
2: man. Absolutely. Yeah. It's got to be appealing, <laughs> you know, to the ears, the eyes, all kinds of stuff.
0: So I'm going to talk to Trevor first and then solo after this, I will talk about the Saints, the Panthers and the Falcons. So stay tuned for that. But, Trevor, first, let's start off with, obviously, the Bucks' first-round pick at number 19. Uh-huh. It's O.J. Howard. I, I think we had even discussed this, and I know discussed this with a lot of people, how tight end was a need for this team. Because, like, fake players like Brandon Myers and Luke Stocker uh, saw more snaps last year than Cameron Brait. And, in fact, I just looked before this. The Bucks were in two tight end sets or more tight ends than that on 418 plays last season. That's the second uh-huh. most in the NFL. So from your perspective, I'm guessing OJ Howard was a surprise since he was still on the board, but was the tight end position a surprise at all?
2: No, not at all. And, you know, like you said, for the reasons uh, there and even going into last year, they they did all of that. They ran all those two tight end sets with, like you said, not even an ideal cast. They didn't even have the they just wanted to run this kind of an offense so bad. And so they like Cambrai. He had good production, but. He's, not, he's, he's just not a complete tight end. He can't do everything that they want him to do. And so uh, I think we were talking to the head coach, Derek Cutter, and we asked him when he liked O.J. Howard or when O.J. Howard was on his radar. And he basically said, um, 15 minutes into the first senior bowl practice, he knew he, he knew he wanted that guy. And, man, when you go back and look at O.J. Howard's film, it's, it's, almost, it's almost impressive. How Lane Kiffin was able to make that man disappear for most of the season, uh, because he's just that good. And so I really do think that OJ. I made a I made a Bucks big board right before they drafted, and I think I had OJ Howard as their like fourth or fifth overall prospect. Wow, that was. That was probably too low, if I'm being completely honest, going back to it now. He's, he was probably their number two prospect in the whole draft, behind obviously Miles Garrett, who should be every, every, every team's number one. But I just listening to them after he was picked, listening to Jason Light and Dirk Cutter about when they started to covet this guy, how much they liked him, the research that they did, and like, like you were saying with the statistics, how much they wanted to run two tight end sets – And finally having a player like Howard who is a much better complete tight end than Cameron Bray. Like O.J. Howard's going to be the number one tight end on the roster week one. I would be surprised if he is not.
0: Yeah, I I was going to ask you that like because obviously 418 snaps is a little less than half of the snaps they ran. Well, more than half. I think they ran something like 1,100 last year. So do you expect, maybe not from the start, but do you expect O.J. Howard to take over even in that 11 personnel or single tight end sets on the field?
2: It's gonna come soon. It's yeah. gonna come really soon. If if not, like I said, like week one right away because Howard is, Howard is so much better of a blocker already than Cameron Braid is. Yeah. So they're they're gonna, they're they're not gonna hold this guy back. They're not gonna be like, oh, you know, well he's a rookie. We got to ease him in. No, they know how good OJ Howard is, and they're gonna get the most out of him as soon as they possibly can. And so yeah, for you for you fantasy football people, uh, I would pick up Howard pretty dang early if I was you.
0: And. They even talked about how you can establish in their post-draft press conferences, establish um, really what the defense does based on two tight end sets. You can dictate the run and the passing game. It's funny. He mentioned Jason Light, or I believe it was Light, said that they do internal mocks and they might only mm-hmm. get six right. but yeah. And none of them, none of them had O.J. Howard as a possibility, nope. uh, which, which goes to show that they absolutely wanted him. Okay, let's move we on can- to the second round. Uh, Texas A&M safety, Justin Evans. Obviously, this is a fantasy football site, so we have to spend a lot of time on this one. But it seemed like they wanted to get more physical, more aggressive on defense. That comes later with the type of players that they
2: added later on the defensive side in the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: where do you think Justin Evans fits on
2: this defense? He's, you know, Mike Smith's defense, actually, his safeties are pretty interchangeable. And that's why they ended up keeping Chris Conte over Bradley McDougall this offseason, because Chris Conte can play both free and strong safety. So their roles are more. Um, more interchangeable than, say, on other defenses. But a lot of people didn't like the Evans pick just because they picked him over, like, Obi Melifonwu and Eddie Jackson and things like that. But they really like Justin Evans' instincts. And I think that his learning curve is probably going to be steeper than other people think. Um, Just because the safety position is all about recognition – Confidence. You have to be able to anticipate things. And that's something that you just got to learn kind of over time, especially coming into the NFL. So I think he'll probably play strong safety to start because I do think that Keith Tandy, they like him a lot as a free safety. He played pretty well at the end of last year. So I think that they're going to give him the benefit of the doubt and let him start at that free safety spot and help Justin Evans be more of a tackler and get more comfortable that way so then he could grow into hopefully getting those instincts. And man, he's an athlete. I watched him over yeah. the weekend at that rookie minicamp. He flies. Yeah, so he,
0: he, he's, he's a great athlete. I love Justin Evans, and I know a lot of people didn't because he missed a lot of tackles. But I would associate missed tackles at safety kind of like uh, drops for wide receiver. Like You might be able to can get over them uh, mm-hmm. if, if they do a lot of other things very well. Uh, it's interesting. Justin Evans was brought in for a pre-draft visit. O.J. Howard was not, and I think that kind of goes back to them having a clean evaluation on Howard. Um, and you know, Evans may be wanting a little more information on, they said he could play center field or move up. And I, I agree right. with you. Like he, he is super aggressive. You see him plenty of times when the running back gets the line of scrimmage, Evans is meeting him there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so adding some aggression to that back half at pick number 50 made sense. How about pick 84 in the third round? Uh, Chris Godwin, the wide receiver from, from Penn state, you know, a lot of these teams have types, right? And, and Trotting out another receiver that can win and dominate in contested catches like Chris Godwin, I'm not saying, obviously, he's not a replacement for Mike Evans, but having another player in that role makes a lot of sense. And I know Dirk Cutter even discussed how You know, when he watched him, he wrote down an athletic score or whatever, and then was shocked and surprised at how athletic he was at the NFL combine. I believe tested in the eightieth percentile, eighty second. So again, we're not expecting Chris Godwin to come in here and take over as a third wide receiver necessarily, especially if they run a lot of twelve personnel. But do you like this pick? Were you excited for it just because of he has an area of where he shines and maybe a ceiling on top of that?
2: Yeah, I knew they were really into Chris Godwin and I actually thought. Oh, interesting. You knew. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that they really liked Chris Godwin. Um, they had him in for a visit. I, I just um, – and there were a couple of other things that we had heard from from within the building that they really liked Chris Godwin. So I actually thought he was going to be their second-round pick. Ended up being their third. I, I was pretty surprised that he lasted till the third round. But the, I think adding O.J. Howard and Chris Godwin when you now put the offense on paper, it's so – they can hit you it's, with so many different things. And I think picking Godwin and having Godwin on the team is key because – now, they don't have to have the Sean Jackson play like every single snap. So, you know, especially playing in Florida, I mean, it's hot. I know people talk <laughs> about that a lot. Like, it, it's hot down here. Uh, and so you you get out of breath pretty quickly. But if you can afford yourself to uh, maybe not have to play to Shawn Jackson all the time, every single snap, maybe play him like 70, 80% of the snaps, then you're getting that four three four four player yeah. more than sometimes like a, he turns into a, a four five or a five six if he's winded, you know, because he'll be the guy running a lot of deep routes anyways. So I think with when you look at Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Deshaun Jackson, Cam Bray, OJ Howard, they're so diverse in the different ways that they could hit you. And you talked about that earlier when you when you referenced Howard, you said they dictate what the defense can do, and that is spot on. And that's something that that I know that Dirk Cutter emphasizes is being able to force the defense to put a personnel on the field that they know they're comfortable winning and have mismatches against. Right. And so when you have Chris Godwin, it's just a different type of receiver to put out there to where, you know, you're really keeping those guys guessing on what the offense could possibly be doing. And he can block too. That's the key. Yeah. They Godwin-
0: said he, he's willing to do the, the dirty work, which is uh, important. Yep. Um, yeah. And I think this is a, another example of a, coaching staff, and front office recognizing where their quarterback wins. Like, we all know that Jameis is not afraid to throw into contested situations, and even when he does throw, his passes might not have the perfect placement uh, at the catch point, and so adding someone that can go up and get it like Godwin makes a ton of sense. Um, okay, then they traded a fourth-round pick, number 125, a sixth-round pick, 204, for pick 107 in the third round, so moving up, what, 18 spots for... Yes. Uh, linebacker Kendall Beckwith out of LSU. I know in their proposed Jeff press conference, they talked about maybe even inserting him as a Sam linebacker immediately. And Mm -hmm. look, I I think we both love Levante David and Quan Alexander, but adding some size and some physicality to that linebacker group seemed like a priority to them. Um, Is that what you took from that as well?
2: Yeah. So at the end of the draft, you can see, you can go back and really see, you can look at free agency, uh, see the moves that they made, the players they targeted in the draft, who they ended up getting, and you can kind of tell their offseason strategy what it was. Theirs was definitely getting bigger on the front seven. You know, they brought in Chris Baker. Um, you know, it, Which we'll was get an that, awesome
0: pickup, by the way. I'm super excited oh, to you, Chris yeah,
2: Baker. Yeah, people love him already, so I think him and Gerald McCoy are going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and then, yeah, Kendall Beckwith, they had to make sure, because they had Devontae Bond, who was a linebacker from Oklahoma, who uh, was injured last year, didn't really play. And people talked about him. As the Sam linebacker role because they also had Daryl Smith, who uh, retired I believe, and they were saying okay well Bond can come in and play that Sam linebacker role but Bond is kind of a smaller linebacker he's more of a speed guy yeah. and they made it clear by trading up for Beckwith who towards ACL in November like he's not gonna he's probably not gonna be ready to play he might be on the physically unable to perform list to start the year. But they still traded up to get him because they loved his size and his physicality. And they also want their Sam linebacker to be able to rush the passer when they can off the edge. Mm-hmm. So having size there is was key for it. Plus, you talked about him playing a middle linebacker role. Daryl Smith was the backup to Quan Alexander in the middle. So they wanted to make sure whatever linebacker they brought in, he could also be up like
0: Good point. That That's a great point. And they, they said they had... Reports dating back two years on him and really, really high mm-hmm. grades on him. And obviously Beckwith is coming off an injury. Uh, but he, I believe he and Quan were teammates at, at some were. point at LSU. Mm-hmm. And Jason Light said when, when he drafted Kendall, uh, Quan texted him a picture of a goat. So take that <laughs> what you want. Uh, okay, so we go through three rounds, four picks, and maybe the number one need that nationally people perceive the Bucks to have was running back. They get to the day three, and their first day three pick is Jeremy McNichols, who many people in the football community and draft community love, um, athletic and great production. It's interesting. So so take me through this, and this is two drastic different polls here, okay? But okay. they said he has three down skills, three down ability, which is high, high, high praise, specifically uh-huh. um, praises his past protection. But then there's on the other side they said well if he makes the team. So, <laughs> which one would you point to if, if you had to stand with one?
2: Uh I would say the, the first the first is probably more true than than the other one him not making the team. I don't think that he's not going to make the team. He wasn't able to participate in the rookie mini camp this weekend cuz he's still getting over his injury. I think he had surgery right after the combine. But um Yeah, labrum he, surgery, I believe. He is he is more of a threat to Charles Sims being on the team than people believe. And I know they have a year left with Charles Sims. They're not just going to – they're not just – now I say that, but they're not going to just give up on any of these guys because they saw last year as running backs start to go down with injury or whatever. They were kind of scraping the – I mean they were lucky that they had Jaquiz Rogers, honestly. Yeah. And so Quiz is going to stick around. They like Martin. uh. So as Martin is progressing, they're going to – they, they might end up giving him the full chance to come back and be the starting running back. He's obviously suspended for the first three games. But I, I think McNichols, they do like him a lot. They love him as a receiver, too. And that's why I say that he is more of a threat to Charles Sims, even if Martin comes back. Um, because he is, he is still the great receiver that, say, Sims was, the reason why they wanted Sims on the roster. But McNichols is better in pass protection. And I think they, they believe in him as a runner more than they do Sims. So, um, I know it's early, but that's kind of where I think the thought process with McNichols is going. I, he's not, I I couldn't, I can't really see a scenario, especially with Martin being out for the first three games where McNichols is not somehow doesn't make the team, but I do think long run, he's definitely a threat to Charles Sims.
0: Yeah. And I would just from a theoretical standpoint, their roles, I would say they're very similar. Yeah. I mean, McNichols was a former receiver in high school. Yeah, obviously, and they said he had rare hands at that position, and and you mentioned it, the labrum surgery might come into play for early season work because I think it is a four month recovery. They said that, so yeah, and but again, praising his pass protection is absolutely huge. They said he was a top two pass protector in this class, so uh, that's always a great sign from the coaching staff. Um, let's close it out with Stevie T. The overage defensive lineman out of yes. USC, uh, they traded a 7th round pick in 2017, a 7th round pick in 2018 to move mm-hmm. back into the 6th round to take him. Is this just, again, adding size and physicality? And uh, on top of this, they added no offensive lineman.
2: Okay? Uh, yeah.
0: And uh-huh. are, does that concern you? Does that concern the fan base? Or are they kind of treating Jr. Sweezy as a signing for this
2: offseason because he obviously didn't play last year? the fan base is a little bit worried about it but we talked to Jason and Cutter multiple times throughout the entire offseason and the whole offseason they said we like our O line not not that they don't want them to play better right. but they have a plan in place you know this is Donovan Smith's third year this is the year it's all been and he he came out of the draft early so you know he this is the plan for him to really peak by year three, and getting Jr. Sweezy back, they think that's an addition of its own, almost like a like an extra draft pick, basically. So, them not picking offensive line is not at all a surprise to me because I knew it was coming. Uh, I tried to tell people that too, but yeah, some you tried people, to
0: tell me because I brought it up.
2: Some people didn't want to have it, um, but even like Bucks fans who like read. Bucks work all the time, and we just kept telling them, they're just not – it's not happening this year. Next year, if their offensive line really struggles again this year, trust me, they're going to blow it up. They're going to make some changes. But going into this year, that's what it was. But on the defensive side, yes, drafting Stevie T. Again, just putting size on that front, um, getting more size in the box. That's what it's all about. I, I, It was – now that did come as a surprise to me. Not the picks because the picks ended – I like the picks. But I thought – they were going to go more for corner and try to get better and faster, play more nickel, but that's just not the direction they went this year, which I was surprised because the cornerback class is so deep. However, perhaps they are looking to get better and stronger this year to maybe draft the corner next year and get faster, knowing that if you play a nickel, if you have these big guys on the front, you still won't get run on. So, I, yeah, just a, I think that Stevie is actually going to make the team. They like him a lot, and people – People say, oh, you know, he's a 26-year-old rookie. Well, sure, you don't want to pick, like, a first-round pick who's 26. Yeah, but if, pick but if
0: 223 is perfectly okay. <laughs>
2: you're right, it, it doesn't really matter, because these guys, like, you tell the average anyways, what is it? I, how long does seventh-round picks last if they last at all? Right. So age doesn't really matter as long as he works his butt off.
0: Right, no, it's, it's a great point. Uh, Trevor, this was a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much. This was on Short notice, so behind the scenes, you know conversation there but trevor i appreciate you doing this uh again you can follow him on twitter at Tampa Bay Trey, and obviously does work for pewter report covering the tampa bay bucks i miss anything
2: nope you got it i've been i've been listening to a lot of your podcasts for a long time so this is a lot of fun to to actually be on one myself thank you great that's two of us who listen thanks a lot man (laughs) uh we'll talk soon yeah no problem
0: thanks again to trevor for joining us on the show uh, again, you can find him on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey or at Pewter Report. He does a really great job. bet him down at the Senior Bowl. Actually, the East-West Shrine game it was. Uh, and so, yeah, he's a good dude. Follow him. I'm going to hit on the rest of the NFC South. Just take five or seven minutes. Uh, let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons. Obviously, they traded up in the first round, uh, gave up a third-round pick and a seventh-round pick to move from 31 to 26 to take Tack McKinley. And McKinley was an important piece. In this defense or addition, I should say, because they needed more edge rushing help, obviously, on the outside with Vic Beasley. The Falcons talk about their CT scores, and that means competitive toughness. If you ever listen to Dan Quinn, I mean, he he spits out like football jargon statements and sentences over and over and over again. Uh, it, it's, it's quite funny, um, but he talked about how Tack wins, you know, in the first three steps, his initial movements, but as well about his motor and just his energy that he brings he's all about energy and and personality wise uh he is kind of the opposite of Vic Beasley and I think the two said that they might be that might be good for both parties um that kind of continues on to Duke Riley who the Falcons took in the third round um, they traded out of their second round pick to accumulate two more picks so they got a third round pick and then two fifth rounders for that second rounder. so Whereas they traded up in round one, they now sta- stood with the same number of picks as they entered the 2017 NFL draft. Uh, he talked about speed, toughness, swagger, and tackling. If you play an IDP league, I would really look at Duke Riley. I think he takes over for Devontae Campbell or whoever they have as that second linebacker next to Deion Jones, which is funny because Duke Riley kind of took over Deion Jones' role at LSU. Uh, it's it's duke Riley's a really fun player, one of my favorite prospects in this entire draft and then I want to end on Eric Salbert, who was one of my favorite tight end prospects, a fifth round pick out of Drake. He is more of a receiving tight end now than anything, but I think that they realize that and they know that, and so they want him to specialize in the red zone or as like a detached tight end it could be fun. And then obviously DeMonte Casey, who was another fifth round pick who I really like. They're going to move him from corner, most likely to safety. So something to watch. And and even inside at the slot, even if um, Brian Poole played well last year, Brian Poole's an undrafted free agent and they might prefer Casey in that scenario. Okay, let's move over to the Carolina Panthers. Obviously they took Christian McCaffrey in round one, but I, I've heard a lot of chatter lately that do Christian McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel can each other out. Obviously, the Panthers took Curtis Samuel at number 40 in the second round. Uh, They don't at all. And if you listen to the Panthers, they explain it and how they'll be used. Christian McCaffrey, Dave Gettleman said, is the best tackle box runner he's seen since Curtis Martin, which is important. And so they think he can be a true running back with obviously elements out in space as well in terms of speed, in terms of big play, in terms of creating yards, something they haven't had at the running back position in quite a long time. I know Curtis Samuel kind of played in a similar role at Ohio state, but they don't view him in that light. They view him as a slot receiver first and foremost. And they talked about how without Ted Ginn this year, they're going to miss that vertical element, that vertical speed, but also that they missed Jericho Kotchery during the 2016 season, a true slot element. So if the Panthers are going to progress this offense it is going to be with Curtis Samuel mimicking a combination of Jericho Cotterie and Ted Ginn. And it's funny because Jericho Cotterie is now the team's slot wide receiver coach, so he would be targeting and coaching Curtis Samuel. Uh, but I, I will think that they might get a bit creative, I guess, uh, And in terms of, look, you can enter the lineup in 11 personnel, meaning one running back, Christian McCaffrey, one tight end, and then three wide receivers with Samuel in the slot. You can seamlessly transition over into 21 personnel with two running backs in the backfield with two wide and one tight end. Or you can seamlessly transition into one personnel with Christian McCaffrey out as a wide receiver. So, yeah, they can definitely get creative, but I just wouldn't expect that a lot. And I would expect, you know, Curtis Samuel to get maybe 10, 15, 20 carries this year, but... Not too many more than that. Deshaun Hall was an interesting one after they took Taylor Moten at the end of the second round to possibly be their right tackle. Deshaun Hall was their third round pick at number 77 for the Carolina Panthers. They actually traded up and gave up a fourth round pick to move up just 19 spots. Uh, Dave Gettleman said their their heart was in their throat for multiple, multiple picks in the hopes of getting Deshaun Hall. You can tell he was a target for them uh, in round three. And Alex Arma is an interesting one. Their six-round pick, number 192. The Panthers, you know, use a fullback and really didn't add one in the offseason other than Daryl Young. They want someone that can catch passes, and Alex Arma can definitely do that. He's super athletic. Uh, he's His actually lead blocking is, is probably the area he has to work on the most, but he played a lot of tight end along with defensive end and linebacker at West Georgia. So watch for him to potentially catch a, a few passes this year if he can earn that roll and stick. It's a project, but he's one to work on. And obviously, let's finish up. And finally, let's finish up with the New Orleans Saints. They took Marshawn Lattimore at pick 11. That's kind of self-explanatory. Then Ryan Remcheck at 32. Uh, they were on the phone with Reuben Foster at the end of round one. He has told that story, so I don't need to. But it's noteworthy that all of the team scouts gave Ryan Remcheck a first-round grade. An early first-round grade, to be exact. So... It makes sense because this team uses a number of, of three offensive tackle personnel sets, and he's their right tackle of the future with Zach Streif coming to an end or coming to a close of his career. Marcus Williams, another safety. This team has invested in so many safeties over the last few years, but he's a true free safety. Von Bell, they see as more of a strong safety, and then I'm guessing they view Kenny Vaccaro as kind of their slot corner now. So expect them to run a lot of three safety sets like they do three offensive tackle sets. And let's end on Alvin Kamara. Uh, The Saints traded their second round pick in 2018 to move up into the early third round at pick number 67. Obviously, Alvin Kamara is an important piece of what this offense wants to do. They called him a specialty back. And I would say that his role would be independent to the Adrian Peterson, Mark Ingram conversation or discussion. You know, those two might battle it out for certain touches and targets, but I would say Alvin Kamara's role is safe. It's the Reggie Bush role, the Darren Sproles role, a key element they called it during the offense, in the offense for 11 years. So that's it. That's the NFC South. If you want to read more about that in detail, you can check out my piece over at Rotoworld. Uh, Next week, we'll have another conference, another division, And another guest. Again, if you like this podcast, you can rate and review it. It would really help us out. And we'd love you for that. And until next time, I'll talk to you
2: soon.
1: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up?